Hey, this is Melissa Green, and you are listening to Grace Point Church's podcast. Our vision statement at Grace Point is loving God, loving self, and loving others. If you want to find out more, visit gracepoint.net. And while we're living, we create a lot of memories on which we survive. I remember that I was always the youngest and the smallest in my classes. And so when my mom sent me to overnight Girl Scout camp for the first time, I was really intimidated by the older girls' experience. I imagined that they had superpowers of some kind. And they would good-naturedly tease the younger girls with stories of bears in the woods and bugs in our food. And I didn't know any of the camping songs, and I hadn't earned any of my badges yet. There was one night when I was so homesick. Oh, I wanted to go home. And my camp counselor noticed me sitting around the campfire all by myself with red eyes, and she said, come here, let me show you some stars. And she pointed up to the sky, and she said, do you see the Big Dipper? And I said, yes. I didn't. I didn't have the astronomy badge. (laughs) She caught me, and she showed me how to find it, and she said, now right up there on the edge, one of those stars I own half of. And I'm going to give you half of my half. And I wondered why she would do something so wonderful. I asked her, why? Why am I getting this? And she said, I just think that you could be like one of those great, big, bright stars. And that you have a lot of light that you could shine on people. Wow. In that moment, she helped me survive camp better. And she said, From now on, whenever you doubt yourself, I want you to look up at the sky and find that star and be reminded that you are meant to be bright and light. Well, like any little kid, I'm so literal, and I said, what about during the daytime when I can't find the stars? What should I do then? She said, take your fingers and put them over your eyelids and just just press down for a little bit. Have you done this? She pressed down, and she said, "What, what happens? And after a second, I said, well, there's a little flicker. There's like a spark. And she said, that'll do. It only takes a spark. Living sacred is a spark that lights up the answer to the question, is this all there is? It kindles the answer that there is more to life. Ever since then, I'm reminded of the essence of the verse in Daniel 12.3. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever and ever. I've learned how to survive differently. Life is all about survival. The world is so fascinated with survival stories, aren't we? We look to people who are surviving, who want more than death and dying. We tune in every night to watch stories about surviving kidnappings and earthquakes and other disasters, and now Ebola. And when reality isn't enough, we tune into reality TV. And we watch and we cheer and we jeer people surviving everything from cooking competitions to races across the country. The show Survivor is in its 20th season. Fear Factor just advertised all new fear great, just what I need. And Gilligan is still on that island on TV land every night for four decades. Will he ever get off that island? 
Now it's November, and the holidays are upon us. And we are going to start to watch our favorite holiday classics on TV, like The Wizard of Oz and The Sound of Music. Somehow Harry Potter has become a Christmas classic, too. And It's a Wonderful Life will be shown over and over and over. It doesn't matter if the characters are fictitious, fictitious or historical. It doesn't matter if their backdrop is war or depression or the yellow brick road. We tune in and we watch these shows over and over because we are drawn into the story. We are connecting even our holidays with tales of survival. That's what these stories are too. And they mesmerize us and they horrify us and they encourage us all at the same time. They keep us on the edge of our seat even though we know how they end. We've seen them before. But yet we are drawn into the story of survival, willing ourselves to be part of the survival. I believe these stories so deeply resonate with us because there is a survivor in all of us. Some of us have overcome earthquakes or other natural disasters, and others have come through a tough relationship split, a grim medical diagnosis, unemployment, or the very real loss of a loved one. Some of these experiences seem to find natural closure, and others just go on and on and on. Regardless, we're guided by this innate, God-given desire to survive. We are guided by this desire to return to wholeness. It's one of our most basic physical and psychological mechanisms, and it sets us on a course to survive or not. I'm sure the reason why I've always been so interested in survival is because I have a survival story. Many of you know that I was diagnosed with cancer at a young age. I've had reoccurrence after reoccurrence, and in its wake, I survived with a neurological condition that affects my every move. Several times my life was at risk, and my heart and life did actually cease. And I had a little heaven-on-earth experience. And since then, I've wondered, how should I be surviving? I wonder, do you feel on some days like your heart is barely beating? Like you are emotionally or spiritually flatlining? Your struggle to catch your next breath? And hope, because if you had to live one more day like today, you wonder, why bother? You may have asked, is it really worth it? Am I truly alive or am I just going through the emotions? These are really hard questions with no easy answer. What I'm hoping is that by the time you leave here today, you will reclaim God's promise that you are created for an abundant life. And yes, there is more. You can take your survival from being barely bearable to beautiful. Survival isn't just something that we do. It's something that I think we really study, whether we are consciously aware of it or not, because we are all doing it all the time. And sometimes we just take it for granted. And other times it's so glamorized by celebrities that we wonder if we could ever do it as well. And then there are those times when someone precious to us dies and we are acutely aware of how precious survival is. Never before has there been a greater sense of entitlement to live longer and healthier and happier. And I think never before has there been more fear of war and poverty and loss and addiction. Of course we're afraid. The more you have, the more you have to lose. 
And we've gone from surviving with fishes and nets to barely being able to survive without the internet. And with the merging of our pop culture with scientific culture, we've, we've written all the rules differently for survival. 60's the new 40. And we're expected to age gracefully, or not at all. Sometimes the rules of survival are hard to keep up with. That's where sacred comes in. It's timeless. As much as we're focused on having a long life, the reality of our lives tells a different story. More than half of the world, half of the people in this room, are suffering and surviving with a chronic illness or pain. The pain may be physical or emotional. And the other half is involved in their lives, either being hurt or trying to take care of them. Life careens out of control no matter what we do. Company downsizing eliminates jobs. A drunken driver veers out of their lane. Your spouse leaves with no warning. One in four of you has an addiction and it's controlling your life. Survival is so much more than just being the last man standing. And unlike movies or TV, it doesn't have this convenient clothes. Most survival experiences, they're battles of triumph and failure. You may survive a car wreck, but now you have to survive with the incessant pain. Your father may have survived a stroke, but now has to live not being able to feed himself. You may receive a good legal settlement, but have to survive with the awful residual anger. You may be surviving addiction, and yet you're longing to have the trust back from your family that you lost. Survival doesn't promise a happy ending or a painless existence. And I'm reminded every day that I visit one of my patients in hospice that sometimes with the beauty of life, there's a beast in living it. So what do we do? Well, our common response to any kind of a crisis is the push and the pull between hope and prayer. Day after day, we hope that life is going to return to what it was before it became a prayer. And when our prayers are not answered, hope wanes, our prayers get stalled, and our dreams are tattered, torn. Sometimes our prayers are answered, and survival goes on. And other times, our hopes are unfulfilled. And for me, my prayer sometimes changes to a cry of, why? What jumps off the pages of Scripture for me is the absence of the promise that my prayers are going to be answered the way I want them to be. And that's why I will never tell you why or why not your prayer is answered. I will never tell you to pray longer and harder. What I'm going to do is offer you a new idea, a new belief, that, so you can transcend this daily roller coaster ride of dis disappointments. I call this path sacred. The Bible is filled with stories of people that are trying to survive to find purpose, answers to life, and often amid really horrific events. To start our journey towards sacredness, though, we have to go back before the struggle before we were trying to survive, before the struggle, and remember the sacred story. Let's look at the book of Genesis, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
Sometimes this is became formless, pointing out to God restoring something. Hovering, I love that word, moving over the waters. Not waters like we know the sea, but the molecular gaseous state. Imagine God so intertwined, hovering in a molecular way. Verse 9, verse 6, God separated water from water. And verse 9, God said, let the heavens below the waters be gathered in one place and let the dry land appear. Notice how he adds balance and stability to creation. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on earth bearing fruit after their kind. God gives order and logic, sensibility. Verse 14, then God said, let there be light in the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and days and years. But wait, there's more. He gives the light purpose. God made two lights, the greater to govern or to rule the day, and the lesser to govern the night. Verse 21, God created the great sea creatures, and he blesses them. This is the first time we see God blessing his creation. And then in verse 26, finally, God said, let us make man in our image. And in verse 28, God blessed them. Then we have a cliffhanger until we turn to Genesis 2, which says, thus the heavens and earth were completed and he rested. He was still. Mm. God's first recorded acts are acts of sacred creation. This kind of stands as a template for me, a model for me of setting things apart. I feel him hovering and moving. He took darkness and created light. He created order out of chaos. He showed balance. He gives purpose and he blesses us. This word bless has no Greek origin. It came about much later, has a German origin, and it means blood. Some suggest that this is an appropriate link because blood was so often used to mark the door, to mark the altar, to set something aside as being precious and sacred, set apart. What this very first recorded works of God reminds me of is that we are innately designed to cry out like our creator as we are in his image. We cry out what? Let there be life. Say it with me. Let there be life. What I'm speaking to you about today is this. We are called to a deeper form of survival where we choose not only life, but a life out of chaos, a life out of darkness, balanced in abundance and purpose, calm in the crisis, Everyone in this room has either suffered, is suffering, or will suffer, or you're taking care of or know someone who is. That's a lot of suffering. So I'm asking you to consider that there's a sacred dimension to every experience you had that can free you to live on a different dimension, one you never thought possible. When our survival becomes sacred, everything changes. But what does this word mean, really, I mean, it didn't come about until the 17th century from the word sacred. I asked over 200 people, what does sacred mean to you? And almost every time they would say, holy. So I said, what does holy mean to you? And they would say, sacred. See how hard it is for us to wrap our minds around some words. What does sacred mean to you? I began looking more for the, this definition 
inside and outside religious contexts. And we use this word all the time. We use it as hyperbole when we say, don't touch grandma's recipe, it's sacred. Those of you who have been forever know that we don't touch Stan's chairs, they're sacred. And it's in movies and songs we talk about sacred ground and sacred love. Whatever sacred is paired with, though, that gets elevated to a higher calling as something that is set apart because it is so worthy. So let us first begin to revise our understanding of our life as a higher calling. When we dedicate our life to God, we are connecting it back to creation before the struggle. Even when our circumstances seem so devoid of his presence, our survival is sacred because he was hovering and moving and he is with us now. Remember again that God created our lives out of the emptiness and out of the darkness and out of our chaos. So I offer you three ways where we find sacredness. It is in spaces and places and in silence. I don't think that sacred is just about overtly religious experiences. I was in Hawaii not too long ago where the earth meets the sky and I thought surely man lives here with sacredness. So many places that I went I saw this word being used to describe volcanoes and mountains and lands and people, it's people. And then there was one carving of a beautiful stone vessel and right across the front of it was a plaque inscribed with the words, holding a place for sacred. Oh, I just want to wear that across my neck. Holding a place for sacred. When we are struggling to survive, though, it can feel like one of the loneliest experiences of your life. And this is where we need to find sacred space. The first time I heard the word used as sacred space was when I was with a group of women, a therapist, and they were experienced in holding sacred space for people's pain. We stood in a circle, and I shared my heartache so bravely, and I waited for them to discuss this. Instead, the leader said, let us hold hands with each other so that we are united in support for Chris. So I did, and I waited, and they went on to the next story. And I was like, wait a minute, what about my story? And so I asked the leader about it before our next gathering, and she said, Chris, sometimes in life, things are so painful that words are not enough to heal. And in those times, what we do best is we witness and we hold each other so they know they are not alone. Sometimes clients come to me and they say, I don't know what you can do. And I lean into their pain. And I say, what you have been through, it's too much. It's too much for you alone. Let me carry it so you can carry on. You are not alone. This is sacred space. This is where God holds us, and we're reminded that we're not alone. Secondly, sacredness is in a type of place. This isn't a location. This is a place like placement. It is about order and balance. Because when you're trying to survive, everything can feel topsy-turvy and out of balance and out of control, right? Sacredness exists in the calm and the order around you. Ancient civilizations believed that balance was founded in God's creation and can be found in patterns everywhere. Look around and see all the patterns. 
awareness and reverence for sacred balance and sacred place, I think are gifts that our generation can be losing as we try to juggle so many things. But a sacred balance is very much intertwined with our relationship with God. Because as we've seen throughout history, God repeatedly restores order. I thought I just had OCD, but I'm sacred. And sacredness is in silence. Because when we are trying to survive, there is a lot of chaos and commotion in an airplane crash, a fight, an attack. There's noise. And even alone in our heads, we hear shouts. We hear words screaming, no and don't and please help. Sacred silence transforms us, but it's so hard. Silence is one of the most difficult things for people to practice. In the midst of all these beeps and buzzes and chirps that are iPhones and Twitter accounts and someone telling us that it's our turn on words with friends, I think there's this growing awareness that we need silence. We're beginning to appreciate it. And that's why, in spite of all the social phenomena, I think that there's more and more places of contemplation and meditation rising up. And what am I hearing in these places? I am hearing Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Being still is not easy. There might be silence all around you, but a sacred silence is more than the absence of words. Sacred silence is a true resignation, resolving that God is with you. Mother Teresa said that God speaks in the silence of the heart. It might be quiet in my room at 2 in the morning, but I've talked to you about this talk show going on in my head, and it's then that I hear... Joel Olstein and Whoopi Goldberg and Oprah all together rehearsing with me and screaming at me what I should do differently tomorrow. When we are silent, we can pay attention to God. Silence gets our attention, doesn't it? When there is silence, we wait because anything can happen after the silence. The thing about surviving is it typically means that even though you won, Something was taken away from you. In real life, survivors have lost something typically. And one of the hardest things to do is to really figure out what you've lost. I know many of your survival stories in here. Precious, tender, difficult stories where you have lost the love of your life. Where you have filed for bankruptcy. Where you have lost your job. So many beautiful, heartbreaking stories here. Addiction, Parkinson's. How are you doing? How do you survive with more than the understandable reaction? This isn't fair. There must be something more. How do you return to that state, that story of wholeness? What's the secret to surviving this loss? It's taking up the challenge of change. If you're willing to change, loss becomes the door to a new beginning instead of the ending to what was. And sacred asks you to make continual adjustments to how you do life. And even as we do, we still may long for the life we had, the life we thought we were going to live. Making adjustments means that you probably had to give something up. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it hurts a lot. And not everybody knows in your present what you had to give up in your past. Oh, there's so much more than what meets the eye. So much more behind these smiles. 
What have you had to leave behind? On the surface, it may have been your job or your marriage, your youth, but what else has really been taken from you? Your dignity, respect, your confidence, your happily ever after? Have you lost your faith in God? These hidden losses can be so much more devastating than the losses on the surface. You can get another job, be committed to recovery, learn to live alone, but unless you uncover those losses beneath, your recovery will be superficial and secretly you will be chasing yesterday. Our chronic problems live out as this constant crisis, whether they're big or small. We live now in crisis because somehow we've got to get our own attention to pay attention and heal. After I was diagnosed with cancer, I lost so much more than my hair. And now as I turn 55, I'm losing more than my youth. I'm losing confidence, ego, freedom, certainty about what life looks like tomorrow. I have a really good life, but I had to dream a new dream. I will never tell you that you just should give up your dream. Instead, I will tell you, keep dreaming a new dream. My dreams didn't become a reality while I waited for God to answer my prayers as I initially asked. I mean, that's how my survival started. But now my new dreams have been constructed after I've returned to this state of sacredness because now in the light, my dreams are clear. Now that I've restored some order and peace and I'm still, I know that God is carrying my heartache so I can carry on. And we need to stop seeing God as holding out from us to holding on to us. This is the sacred way. My discovery of sacred life has uncovered sacred principles, and it turns the practice of God's abundant life into something we can do moment by moment, into something we can live. A sacred survival makes a different kind of promise to us. It promises us more than the assurance that life goes on. And these sacred survival practices are so founded in our faith and what God provides for us. And he gives us strength and acceptance and compassion to live in relationships, making the right exits so that our decisions can really manifest. The practices of sacred survival, they don't make your life matter, I just have to tell you. They're going to remind you that it already does. It's this last practice that I really want you to pay attention to today. It's the practice of making decisions. We have so many choices to make in life. And we don't always have the ability to make the right choice. But we always have the ability to correct our choices, to amend our practices, to change our course. But we need to change more than our decisions. We need to change the very way we make our decisions. The best approach is through the store of truth. Your true story, you're the only one who has it, and it's being written every day. And God loves you no matter what chapter you are living. It's just that sometimes we see another life that we would rather have, maybe in your circle of friends, maybe on TV. And so we wear another person's decisions we wear clever costumes 
instead of living our own life as God intended. So that sounds so simple then, right? That's it. Just be you. Well, if it was so simple, why are so many people just barely alive? I think it's because we're afraid that our life just isn't good enough. Remember what I said, though. Things are rarely what they appear to be. So we need to believe in ourselves. Every day we read about people who have been pretending to be someone that they're not. Prisons are filled with people who are pretending to be someone else. We imprison ourselves when we lock away our true identity behind this life of deception and betrayal. Be you. Too many survivals are starting at the wrong end of the journey. People imagine what they want to be, and then they wiggle into somebody else's plan. They try to figure out, how can I get what they have? And I know that goals are important, but consider starting at the other end of this journey and ask yourself, who were you when you were first created? Back then, back in Genesis, who were you? And I don't want scripture verses telling you what God's plans are. I don't want to know what your parents' anecdotes were about who you're supposed to be when you go out. I want you to dig a little deeper and uncover who you were created to be, whole and holy. Decide to live differently. We put so much time and energy into deliberating about our decisions that we run out of time and energy to actually implement them. We mistake the passion of our decision for the action of implementing it. So I encourage you to take your decision into your whole body. That's what a sacred life does. If it's only an intellectual decision, your heart will not ignite it to action. You need to put your heart into it or you will grow weary quickly. But if it's only a heartfelt, your heart and your head are going to talk you out of it. We have so many voices in our head telling us what we can and cannot do. And the voice of pain, oh, it's so selfish. It's such a bully. But the voice of truth tells you a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. This is the voice to listen, to believe in. We have so many possibilities. And when we have a lot of possibilities, then we can make choices instead of letting life happen to you. And when you can make those choices, you live a life on purpose and with passion. Where do you feel the presence of sacred? I made some important decisions a few years ago about my vocation, about my health and my relationships, otherwise known as the New Year's Eve Big Three. But guided by who I know I am created to be, whole and holy. I didn't make the kind of decisions that would send me on this elusive treasure hunt trying to find my self-worth. I know that the treasure is already inside me. I just need to uncover it. It's gotten covered up by pain and hurt. Emotional and physical pain still blurs my vision. It still weakens my efforts. And so I think about my camp counselor again. And I'm reminded how to carry out my decisions. Remember, she accepted me so I could accept myself. And her compassion made me feel strong enough to leave behind the version of myself that was so filled with insecurity. She knew I wasn't afraid of bears. I was afraid that no one would like me. And most importantly, she reminded me that if we try to live alone, we do not live well. Where do you find sacred? It might be in church. 
It might be in music. It might be in your baby's eyes and smile. You may see the face of God and feel sacred on a starry, starry night. So many of us try to fill up the voids in our life, and I tell you and tell you again, there are no voids in your life. You are whole and holy. We've been laying down the wrong part of decisions. We've been laying down the sacredness instead of laying down our pain. Lay down your pain. One of my favorite songs is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Let's listen to it now because it so resonates with our pursuit of our hopes and our dreams.
So beautiful. I see red eyes. I need to get closer to you. I love this song because it stirs me to want more and to fly with my dreams. And yet, this song is a paradox. It's a contradiction of sorts because this is the theme song to the movie where we learn the timeless treasure truth that there's no place like home. Home is important to us. When I was at camp, oh, I longed to go home. Whenever we were on some proverbial island trying to survive, we hold on hoping that we will get home. There's a lot of great songs about home. And sometimes it's a physical place and sometimes it's a place in our hearts. But what I'm learning is that even if my head and my heart are chasing over the rainbow for more, my spirit will always stay home. Let me tell you why. This other favorite song of mine about home is an Amy Grant song called In a Little While. She sings, In a little while we'll be home forever. In that song, she holds out comfort for people in pain that in a little while we'll be home forever. I used to long for that kind of home. There were moments of pain where I ached wondering when God would bring me home, what I thought home would be, heaven. But these last years, as I've been living a sacred, I know that I don't have to wait for home. I had thought that home would be mine in a little while. Now I've claimed that it is mine now. I had been looking over the rainbow. Now I know that it is here. Home is here. There. Home is now because God is here with us now. So we are home. If your pain and your suffering or your life of mediocrity is beginning to define you and your survival is a constant struggle, I want to offer that. As painful as a struggle is, it's inspiring too because it means that you know you were created for life and that you haven't given up. One of the most important moments that you will ever have is this moment now. Now is the time to take back your sacred survival. Maybe like me, you have a tough medical diagnosis. Maybe you've had devastating and disappointing relationships. You've been abandoned or attacked physically or emotionally. We all live with past or present difficult conditions that ask us to make decisions about how we will survive. Acceptance begins when we understand what we can control and what we cannot control. And where does that control come from? It is the belief that even if I cannot control this condition, it will not control me. Our survival is at the expense of precious losses. We lose more than our savings account during a financial crisis. And we lose so much more than our hair during chemotherapy. When a loved one leaves our life, we lose more than their mere presence. What we really lose is our hopes and our dreams. 
we may also lose our confidence, security, trust in the world. I started piecing together the elements that had begun transforming my life this last decade. I obtained my doctorate in clinical counseling, and I was ordained as a minister. And my survival journey evolved from physical to emotional and spiritual, from ordinary to just a little more sacred. I wish for you that you could transform your life into something just a little more beautiful, especially if right now it just seems bearable. Sometimes with the beauty of life comes the beast of an existence, less than what you recreated for, less than what you hoped for, telling you that your life doesn't matter. Your life does matter. My life was complicated with abusive relationships leading to all kinds of stress. My physical body was breaking down with pain. I was under financial pressure, um, family problems. I felt like I had the worries of the world on my shoulders. I tried almost everything to alleviate the depression and anxiety, but nothing seemed to help me cope. But Chris's sacred survival principles inspired me to change, to become who I am. And that a sacred survival is a strong, beautiful way to live. Perhaps up until now you have felt too tired or angry or disappointed or too alone to begin something like this. We all want a better life, but don't think it's possible. I'm offering you new possibilities. The six sacred survival practices of strength, acceptance, compassion, relationship, exits, and decisions can be the spark to a better life. I invite you to begin with just one, just one practice, and see if you don't feel a little better, love a little more, and get off this island where you are stranded. Your sacred survival already exists inside of you, and these practices are going to uncover the buried treasure within. Your rescue begins now. Jamie is with us today. Would you thank her with me for sharing that brave, brave testimony? Thank you. These really aren't my principles. I just brought them to the surface. But now Stan's going to invite our two new interns to talk about journey works, where we're going to be learning more and more about how to be sacred. Well, in the close of the service, I will just say words fail truly to express the impact that Journey Works and Dr. Chris Licky have made on our church for the last seven years. That doesn't seem right. I still remember the coffee you and I had when you were thinking about making this transition. Over 300 members of our community, that's not 300 sessions, over 300 members of our community, many of which are here this morning, have literally sat with this woman in thousands of sessions. And I can't begin to express the impact that that has made in the life of our congregation. It is overwhelming at times. Um, every now and then she and I will sit down and, and she will give me a debrief on what's going on. And she will say, there's a bit of a lull and I have space if you have someone to send me. Most of the time she is overloaded. To that end, we've been talking for years. There are obviously a congregation our size, financial limitations. But we've been talking about the addition of other counselors. She's even looked into because she's well-respected around the community. 
uh, interns, and we've never really pulled the trigger on interns. Interns are great. All of us have been an intern at one point, but to trust our congregation into the lives of people who are training, although all physicians and all doctors are practicing to some degree. Have you ever thought about that? They're practicing on us. You guys are practicing on our teeth or bodies, but um, we finally found a couple of interns that are in the process of graduating the academic sides of things, but while they are interns in the scholastic process, they are not interns in life. Barbara Wire, I have known and considered a friend for going on now two decades, 20 years of life we've been together, and Paul Johnson has been one of my closest friends for the last 10 years. Not only would I go to these people, I do go to these people. Even in the last couple of weeks, I've called Paul, and the time that I've spent with Paul, I literally have told them, you ought to be able to roll that over into your intern work, because it was soul work for me. So we are very, very, very blessed to not have a couple of fresh 26-year-old interns practicing, but two people who are profound people and have proven themselves in my life and the life of this congregation. And yet now they are coming into a world that I think is fit for them perfectly, and you will have access to them. And I'd like to introduce to you our two new interns, Barbara Wire and Paul Johnson. I'd like you guys to just um, express... <clears throat> and... Tell them what your focus is, because it might be good. It may be exactly what they're looking for. Well, good morning, or afternoon. Um, it really is an honor to be part of the JourneyWorks team, and I've been at Grace Point for 11 years, and it's my home. And what Grace Point has meant to me is a safe place. Um, it's, a, it's a place where I have permission to be real, to go on a spiritual journey, and where I'm a person who's very, very much in process. And that's what I hope to bring to my practice as well. Um, my areas of focus are highly informed by family systems theory and um, attachment theory. And I'm sort of led towards working with couples and women's issues and career and major life transitions. And um, so in my practice, what, what I'm hoping that I can share with my clients is to let you know that what you are experiencing, what you think, and what you feel really, really does matter. And it may be that you are in a place in your life where you can't believe that for yourself right now. And so that's when I will ask you to give me permission to hold that sacred space for you until you can. And I want to create someplace safe where you can come and you can bring the most difficult things in your life and know that you won't be judged, that there'll be somebody there that will advocate for you and won't try to fix you, but that will just walk along with you in the journey. And I do believe that underneath all of our deepest pain, there is truly a gold mine of hope and possibility and healing. When I heard that Barbara Wire was going into uh, Treveca to do this, I literally, and I told Chris this, I said, oh man, she was created for this. She will be one of the best in this town. And I mean that. That's exactly what I said behind your back, and I'm glad to say it in front of your face today. Paul Johnson and I have been friends for 10 years, and he is one of my dearest friends, and I will say the same thing. You were made 
for this. Why you didn't do this 30 years ago, I don't know. God does, and it's the right time. Tell them about your areas of focus. And don't talk about the session we had earlier this week. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite texts that I think all of us know is in Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew 11, where Jesus invites us to come to him and find rest. And uh, I love it in the uh, <clears throat> message where uh, Eugene Peterson refers to this rest as the unforced rhythms of grace. Mm -hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what we all want in our lives? Um, I relate to that particularly because rhythm in music and melody and harmony are what my life has been about most of my adult life. And somewhere along the line, I realized that these elements that make for joy and beauty in our lives describe our lives as well. Our lives are also a composition of music and harmony. And we need these unforced rhythms of grace. That's what we hope for. I feel honored to be part of a church where we lift each other up. If I was to describe Grace Point, I think that would come at the top of the list for me. We don't judge each other, we lift each other up. And we all need that. And there are times when we can't get through the difficult parts of our lives on our own. We need help. We need someone to do this with us. And that's where Barbara and Chris and I are so honored to be part of JourneyWorks here. We're here to serve you. We're here to walk through these difficult periods of your life with you. And um, there's so many things to take advantage of here at church. I'm going to give a commercial right now. If you're not coming to Stan's Bible studies on Wednesday night, you're cheating yourself. It is so fantastic. It's my favorite evening of the week. Stan's the best Bible teacher in America for my money. Mm -hmm. Take advantage of this. Take advantage of JourneyWorks, where we're here to be available to you, to help you through these difficult times. I know that when you come to spend an hour or so with me, I want you to know that you're deeply cared for, that your privacy is protected, that you can explore the embarrassing things of your life that you may not, you may be hiding from even your spouse. We are here to serve you and to help you find those unforced rhythms of grace. And it's my privilege to join this team and be a part of it today. Thank you, Paul. And Chris, um, on top of this, you're starting a support group that I wanted you to say something about before we left, a sacred support group. Talk about that, when it's going to happen, and who can come, and all Thank of that you. stuff. There's a lot of great groups meeting here already. There's Samson's on Thursday nights. There's ACA, AA, OA. We have a lot of wonderful groups here. We're, and we consider doing grief share or divorce care. We're doing this sacred group now because it takes some of the specific losses and uncovers a lot of the common denominators that we need to do in order to come into acceptance and let go and let and go on. So this is for anybody who has a loss, and that might be a job, their youth, 
a loved one, a relationship, a home. And we are going to meet, this is like a six or seven week group that we will continue on with. But any age, men, women, we're starting in January. There's a table over there that will be standing out if you want to get some more information. Start to find out about this group work that you can do. Because as we all know, poor health lives in isolation. And so let's come together and support each other. Great. That's starting in January, but it's, I mean, that's a month and a half away. So sign up now. Also, uh, as we go today, go to the table, get a book. Um, this book is a great book. I was reading it when she was actually writing it. I read it as she was writing it. You might find this story in there. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Confidentially. Yeah. What You called me something else, surely, didn't you? You didn't call me Shirley. You called me <laughs> something else. But um, it's a phenomenal book. This book is being used from Vanderbilt to Stanford. Um, I've used it. I've read it before it was written and while it was written and after it was written. It's an incredible book. Pick it up. It actually goes to help Journey Works ministry due to the largesse of Chris and Rich Licky. But anyway, this is a great day. One more time, I'm thankful for our church. Let's give specific thanks today to Dr. Chris Licky and Paul and Barbara. People. I'm not, I, I got to dismiss them because I got to add one more thing. All right, well, in my pre-dismissal, I always tell people, I'm fond of saying, if your head doesn't know what to do with all right. this, that's okay. Go lose your minds just a little bit today. Your spirit will know what to do with it. That this. on Mental Health Sunday, go lose your mind. I get it. Lean into your spirit. Come back tonight, 5.30. Our friend Doug Padgett, an incredible pastor, a pastor to pastors, as Melissa said, an incredible author and a great thinker and a stimulus of thought for our church as we continue to move forward into the kingdom and what God has called us to. Doug is an incredible mind, great author, 5.30 to 7. We're going to sit around. We're going to have a great conversation. Come back tonight, 5.30. God bless you. See you.